You know something is wrong. You can see it all around you. You're wondering how things got to this point. Good is called evil and evil is called good. You want to truly know why we got to the brink of the abyss. You can't just be told. You must see it for yourself. I'm Scipio Eruditus, and this is Dispatches from Reality. Hello, hello. I am your author, your narrator, your host, Scipio Eruditus. And today we're going to be talking about a very, very interesting subject. Uh, it's, it's fascinating some of the rabbit holes you'll go down and how really so many of these things, the, the further and further you dig into quote unquote conspiracies, uh, you know, because they're not theories, right? Conspiracy is a, uh, it's a felony, not a theory, as we're about to find out. And as uh, I'm sure a lot of my listeners already know. And so the, the spider webs and, you know, analogy or that mental framework of, uh, of kind of, you know, systematizing this information and, and seeing the bigger picture here, the spider web uh, really is a perfect uh, analogy and model to use because all of these subjects are so interconnected. And uh, today's topic, you know, we're going to be talking about abiotic oil and why oil is actually a renewable resource. And I, you know, I'm sure for a lot of people, when I first ran across some of this stuff, you know, it's at this point, you know, this is one of these topics that if you try and look this information up, on any major search engine, it is extraordinarily hard to find information about. So thankfully, when I first came across this topic, maybe five or six years ago now, uh, the search algorithms had not been, you know, perfected yet from their uh, propagandistic standpoint. Your search engines, you know, search engines rather, were a lot more free. And, you know, five, six years ago, you could find topics about this if you searched in abiotic oil or oil renewable resource you would find a lot of stuff about it and when i was assembling information for this article it was man it was a chore to find some of this stuff you know i had to i had to go to some different search engines i mean DuckDuckGo, google uh these things i mean google's obviously been bad for a long time right but as I was doing this one, I mean, DuckDuckGo, which is, it has just really gone downhill in a precipitous way. And so, yeah, uh, a lot of this information, if you're looking for, you know, more taboo topics, if you're not trying to get the mainstream, Yandex seems, uh, their search engine seems to be pretty uh, on point uh, as far as a lot of these topics. You know, as far as when you search something in, you're going to find things related to that topic. You're not going to get, you know, oh, the debunk on why, uh, Oh, Snope says, or et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, but it just goes to show you that this stuff is buried so deep in the algorithms for a reason. And it's very hard to find this information for a reason because it blows apart so many of the other BS narratives we've been fed over the last, you know, 150 years since the uh, quote unquote discovery of petroleum oil. You know, never mind the fact that humans have been using oil as, you know, in this fashion for lamps and other things. 
thousands of years, thousands of years, and even petroleum. And so the infamous Rockefeller family are going to be taking center stage here today as they are, you know, instrumental in the propagation and dissemination of so many of the faulty narratives surrounding this substance. And one of the biggest is that it is a finite resource, right? I mean, think about, think about the wars that have been fought over that lie alone. Oh yeah, we got to go and fight this war in the Middle East or fight that war in the Middle East because the oil is going to run out. I mean, never mind the fact that the U.S. has been a net exporter of oil for the better part of the last decade. You know, just totally ignoring that fact. There's no, there's no even reason why we should care about the oil in some other far-off place. But it becomes even more absurd and even more, even more serious when we realize, well, this is not even, this is a renewable resource. It is not at all what we have been told. Not at all. And the implications, the downstream effects of these truths, they are staggering to consider. Staggering to consider. Think about all the geopolitical and economic turmoil that has flowed from oil and oil prices. Think about all the lives that have been snuffed out, all the wars that have been fought, bickering over this substance that, uh, uh, honestly, a great deal of the world realizes the truth for what it is. It's really only in the West that this lie has propagated so extensively and so thoroughly and that's why i think it's very important you know to to go outside of your your english-speaking data streams your western data streams uh and get information from you know there are so many different perspectives and there's so many different topics right so you know in, in one country this topic may not be taboo and in another country it absolutely is and so it is it's a, just a very, very interesting subject and, you know, one that there's a great deal of literature and other, uh, other things to discuss. So, yeah, let's get into some of the further research here, some of the books. Um, I guess the first one right off the bat, this is probably the gold standard for scientific papers as far as uh, petroleum or hydrocarbons and the origin of, uh, you know, petroleum, right? Quote unquote, fossil fuel. And so this is the evolution of multi-component systems at high pressure. Six, the thermodynamic stability of the hydrogen carbon system, the genesis of hydrocarbons and the origin of petroleum by J.F. Kenny et al., a bunch of Russian scientists, because yeah, in Russia, this is, uh, and you know, I don't want to get into much of it because I, I cover this in the essay, but yeah, the Russians know all about this, right? So a lot of the research and a lot of the scientific research on this subject is going to be primarily Russians because they're the ones that have pioneered this, uh, really, you know, this entire system and this entire theory. And so, yeah, very, um, very important research paper uh, in regards to uh, the scientific validity and, and, and kind of the scientific process of how this would even happen. Because at its heart, you know, oil is a uh, petroleum, right? Is a mineral, and so this is not. Uh, it, it's kind of like the PCR, a little bit of the PCR magic going on, right? Like we we found some 
organic bits of matter because, of course, dead things are in the earth and this stuff is coming from deeper uh, in, you know, deeper than the dead things are found, right? So some dead things are going to get into your oil. Uh, oh, well, we found little bits of this in the oil, right? So that just mean that must mean it's made from the dead things. Yeah, not quite. Uh, next book up here, we have The Great Oil Conspiracy by Jerome Corsi of uh, QAnon fame. And uh, yeah, before Mr. Corsi got involved in all that stuff, he, uh, he's written a lot of books. And I, um, I kind of have a bone to pick, I guess. Uh, the book, uh, there's a lot of good information in the book. And it covers a lot of good stuff. Um, but I... The whole idea, and I mean, Mr. Corsi is obviously a good researcher, and he knows a great deal about the history of what we're talking about, and especially from a taboo angle. And when you're studying the oil industry, and you're studying the history of oil and these dual theories, so whether it's abiotic or the biotic theory, you can't escape the Rockefellers, and you can't escape the ties that this family has had across the world. So the Nazis, I mean, uh, the Nazi Air Force doesn't get off the ground without the Rockefellers. So it's just, there's a, a myth propagated throughout the book, you know, where it's like, oh, the U.S. government hid this Nazi discovery. That the U.S. government helped create the Nazis, just like we helped create the Soviets, and we helped create uh, essentially every enemy we've had for the past 100 years has been something we have, you know, created beforehand. So, yeah, it's just, uh, the U.S. government wasn't hiding anything. They knew all about it. Uh, so, next up here, we have the, the Peak Oil Scare and the Coming Oil Flood by Michael C. Lynch, a uh, researcher from MIT. Now, this book is from 2016, right? So this is before um, before we had had a lot of the shale boom and before America had become, you know, really the oil powerhouse that it uh, has become, uh, you know, at least until the you know, uh, Biden administration came in. But uh, so when, you know, Mr. Lynch was making these predictions, this is before we'd seen some of this stuff. And so the book has aged remarkably well, and he really debunks the entire concept of peak oil. Now, he's coming from it, you know, not from the abiotic lens, uh, but just from a, uh, you know, the different perspective. But regardless, even from the traditional understanding of petroleum, we're not anywhere near tapping these things. And of course, because they refill, we're never going to uh, fully tap them. And uh, yeah, Mr. Lynch's book, still a good read, despite, uh, you know, it being uh, a little bit more dated in terms of you know, current goings on. Uh, up next, we have Big Oil and their bankers in the Persian Gulf, four horsemen, eight families, and their global intelligence, narcotics, and terror network by Dean Henderson. I'm a big fan of Dean Henderson's work. He's got a couple of good books that I highly recommend uh, the readers uh, and the listeners uh, look into, but. This one here, Big Oil and their Pankers in the Persian Gulf, I mean, the title really kind of says it all, you know, it's uh, right out the gate. He does not miss, you know, he does not mince words going into the history and the propagation of how, you know, for him, the four horsemen, you know, you have the bankers, you have Big Oil, you have the drug trade, 
and then you have, uh, <laughs> excuse me, and then you have the permanent war economy, which uh, I think those are pretty, that's a pretty good summation of really the, the four main thrusts of the economic uh, game plan of these people, you know, and yeah, the drug trade is absolutely run by the intelligence agencies. It's, uh, it's used not only as a weapon, by all, but also as a financial laundering tool and a, and a method of, uh, of really payment in and of itself. And so, yeah, eventually, uh, it's a topic I've talked about, you know, uh, I've written about before, at least. So, yeah, uh, crafting a cartel, if you're interested in that, check out that essay. Yeah, I'm really terrible at self-promotion, so I guess I'll throw the plug in here now, right? As always listeners if you're not hearing this on substack you're not already subscribed you need to go to substack and you need to subscribe because there is a a wealth of free information available on the dispatches from reality substack and that's dfreality.substack.com again totally free all this information put out there because it's important that this information is put out there you know it's uh not the kind of stuff that you can put behind a paywall i mean we're talking about life and death if only no, more people knew about the reality of this entire oil sham and scheme, right? I mean, this alone. Just, it's staggering the amount of lies that have been, you know, perpetuated uh, and that have stemmed from this lie. But yeah, Mr. Mr. Henderson's book, incredible, incredible book, going into, you know, really the who's at the heart of this matter. And, uh, you know, you, you pull these spider webs back and you keep on going to this little city of London, right? A very interesting place, quite a, quite an interesting history, very long history, uh, a subject for another day, but (laughs) so that leads us to the next book here, Memoirs by David Rockefeller. And this is the thing I love about the occultists, right? Is that they are so brazen and they are so filled with pride is that they just can't help from telling you their true feelings. I mean, there's, there's some quotes here in this, you know, this essay from Mr. David Rockefeller that are just, I mean, we're talking about smoking gun type quotes, right? I mean, these people freely tell you, right? You can go and read Klaus Schwab's book. You can go and read the Rockefeller's book. You can go and read Albert Pike or the rest of these occultists, you know? They'll freely admit all these things. They're telling you. That we, the only people we have to blame is ourselves. Right for not taking these people seriously, for not taking them at face value. I mean, they've told you what they want to do. They want to turn you into a slave. They don't want you to drive. They don't want you to, you know, even eat meat anymore. Right? Even have any real food. They want you to. They want to inject you with things that are made out of cockroaches, and then they also want you to eat the cockroaches. And they're very upfront about it. So really, we only have ourselves to blame because you know. Mr. Rockefeller lays it out in his memoirs quite extensively. And so, yeah, to wrap up the book section here, we have The Rockefeller File by Mr. Gary Allen, a, uh, just a courageous truth teller, someone that understood a lot of these subjects in a very deep way, and he uh, paid for it with his life, right? So one of the many authors and researchers that have been assassinated by the Central Intelligence Agency. But really, that just further validates so much of his research. You know, I don't know if Bill Cooper would have been, uh, not that uh, he didn't have a, a big impact, right? But so much of 
why Bill Cooper's had such a big impact after his death is because it testifies to how big of a threat he was, of what he was saying was so true. And in much the same vein, you know, Gary Allen's research, um, Gary Allen's research on the Rockefellers uh, in this book and, you know, on other topics such as the international drug trade and the government's complicity in it. I mean, the proof is, uh, the proof is really all laid out here, right? And the fact that Mr. Allen paid for so much of this information with his life uh, just goes to further show you and, and really validate what's being said here is that when you, when you pull the curtain back in these kind of intimate ways on these families, they do not appreciate it. They do not appreciate it. And that you know, leads us into uh, one of the first videos we have here of uh, Representative Larry McDonald. And he was the chairman of the John Birch Society. Uh, one of the few congressmen to ever be shot down, right? So the, the Soviets accidentally, quote-unquote, shot Mr. McDonald's plane down, uh, killing him and, uh, you know, over 100 people on this aircraft and no repercussions for the Soviets. No repercussions. Yeah, this is uh, why your Congress critters don't say anything, why they keep their mouth shut, and why they don't talk about the New World Order that every single president, basically, for the last 70 years has been talking about openly. Well, they get reminded of Representative McDonald and what happened to him when he didn't keep his big mouth shut. No, these people are not going to shake the real... You know, they can attack their, their political foes, right? Uh, the little Potemkin fighting we have going on here. But when you go against the real movers and shakers, when you pull the curtain back on entities like the, uh, the CFR, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. But an exceptional interview by uh, Mr. McDonald on a Crossfire where he confronts a member of the CFR to his face. <laughs> Yeah, he uh been a courageous man and it's really it's really a shame you can look back in the history of this country when not all of our politicians were pathetic quizzlings, right? And uh yeah, Mr. McDonald was one of the last real ones, that's for sure. Uh so the next video up here, we have Fletcher Prouty explains the invention and use of the term fossil fuels. And uh, Mr. Prouty, an interesting character, a uh, very interesting character. I'm, I'm kind of torn on him, but the video, nonetheless, uh, a very good history and look into the genesis of the term fossil fuels, how that was disseminated, how that even came across. Um, a short video, right? Not too long, but goes into a lot of the same subjects that we're about to cover in this essay. And then lastly, uh, the Dark Secrets on the Rockefeller Family. Now, this is a shorter essay, but, uh, excuse me, not essay, but a documentary, rather. It's a, a little over 30 minutes, so not too long, but it, it goes into a lot of the topics where there's just been such a wealth of information about the Rockefellers and research about the Rockefellers had been in the public light for so long. I, uh, I didn't touch on too much of that in this essay, right? Because I assume, firstly, that a lot of the people reading my subjects are going to be somewhat familiar with it. 
But if you're not, and you don't know, you know a lot about the Rockefellers and really the cancer that this family has been upon the American populace, it is, uh, this documentary is a very good place to start. So, yes, one of the most influential families in, you know, world history, unfortunately, and definitely not far better. But without further ado here, I'm going to be reading from my August 8th, 2023 essay, The Fossil Fuel Farce. Quote, The real menace of our republic is the invisible government, which, like a giant octopus, sprawls its slimy legs over our cities, states, and nation. To depart from mere generalizations, let me say that at the head of this octopus are the Rockefeller Standard Oil Interest and a small group of powerful banking houses generally referred to as the international bankers. Powerful international bankers virtually run the United States government for their own selfish purposes. They practically control both parties, write political platforms, make cat's paws of party leaders, use the leading men of private organizations, and resort to every device to place a nomination for high public office only such candidates as will be amenable to the dictates of corrupt big business. These international bankers and Rockefeller Standard Oil interests control the majority of the newspapers and magazines in this country. It operates under cover of a self-created screen and seizes our executive officers, legislative bodies, schools, courts, newspapers, and every agency created for the public protection. John F. Highland, Mayor of New York City, Democrat, from 1918 to 1925. End quote. The 20th century, sometimes referred to as the American century, was a veritable whirlwind of military-grade psyops, pernicious lies, dastardly deceptions, grandiose absurdities, occult propaganda, and ostentatious fabrications of the highest order. That psychological storm has only intensified in the advent of the Internet age with these fictitious occult meta-narratives and anti-truths now spawning on a daily basis. We are so bathed in these fables, at every stage of life, that we no longer even perceive or appreciate their impact upon us. Indeed, it is truly impossible to understate the magnitude and frequency with which new attacks upon our mental and spiritual faculties are now launched. Immoral absurdities have become canonized as our new cultural cornerstones. The overarching theme of the 20th century was not wars for oil, nuke scaremongering, the alleged space race, or even its many genocides. It is control. Control of our minds through mass media. Control of our medicine through the cartelization of healthcare. Control of our breeding through eugenics and abortion. Control of our churches through 501c3 regulations. Control of our children through public schools. Control of our wallets through fiat currency. And ultimately, control of our very body and soul. One of the most fundamental ways we have been controlled is through artificially emplaced limits upon our energy production. And no, I don't mean that in a woo-woo or new age sense. 
What I mean rather is that petroleum, i.e. fossil fuel, is not a scarce resource. It is a renewable, mineral compound formed through natural geological processes. The Rockefeller clan, one of the legacy banking bloodlines within America, have ensured that this pernicious fabrication has utterly ensorcelled our society. They are certainly not the only culprit responsible for perpetuating this fable, but their companies, trust funds, foundations, and media lackeys have done the lion's share of the work to inset this idea within our national consciousness. As always, Let us first define our terms by turning to the CIA's pet project, Wikipedia, to see what they define as a fossil fuel. Quote, A fossil fuel is a hydrocarbon-containing material such as coal, oil, and natural gas, formed naturally in the Earth's crust from the remains of dead plants and animals, that is extracted and burned as fuel. End quote. And as the Freemason-founded Encyclopedia Britannica states, quote, All fossil fuels contain carbon, and all were formed as a result of geological processes acting on the remains of organic matter. End quote. Both of these statements are quite simply demonstrable falsehoods and spectacularly fail to account for the totality of the evidence available to us. The Al Shaheen oil field is now the deepest borehole and oil rig in the world at 40,604 feet. This is well beyond the depths at which we have ever found a fossil, currently standing at 8,579 feet. The deepest point at which scientists have found bacteria is 4,564 feet, while algae has never been discovered in water deeper than 850 feet. Regardless of the logical absurdities required to believe, that liquefied dinosaur flesh powers your car. Oil is clearly being formed in a location that precludes the possibility that organic life, no matter the age, could somehow contribute to its formation. The lies that have undergirded the oil century are no less fabulous than the lies undergirding many of modern society's foundational beliefs. Quote, The drive of the Rockefellers and their allies is to create a one-world government combining supercapitalism and communism under the same tent, all under their control. Do I mean conspiracy? Yes, I do. I'm convinced there is such a plot, international in scope, generations old in planning, and incredibly evil in intent. Congressman Larry P. MacDonald, Democrat, Georgia, President of the John Birch Society. End quote. Since we are told fossil fuels are millions of years old and entirely derived from organic matter, it is definitionally a scarce and non-renewable resource. And this also could not be further from the truth. Petroleum and natural gas reservoirs have been repeatedly shown to replenish themselves over time. Quote, Recent measurements in a major oil field show that The fluids were changing over time, that very light oil and gas were being injected from below, even as the producing oil pumping was going on, said chemical oceanographer Malin Kennicott. They are refilling as we speak, but whether this is a worldwide phenomenon, we don't know. 
The inflow of new gas and some oil has been detectable in as little as three to ten years. From the Daily Herald. End quote. The phenomenon is well documented within both the media and scientific literature. The fact that oil and natural gas continues to replenish itself from reservoirs deep within the Earth directly refute the idea that fossil fuels are somehow biotic in nature. The abiotic theory of petroleum creation was a topic explored quite extensively by Russian scientists during and after the Cold War. Dr. Jerome Corsi discusses the truly staggering body of scientific evidence backing this theory up. Quote, Beginning in 1940, Stalin commissioned a scientific examination into every aspect of petroleum, including how it is created, why reserves are formed, how the oil can best be discovered and extracted. Between 1940 and 1995, Russian scientists published some 347 scientific publications on the Fisher Trope process, on the way to obtaining some 170 Fisher Trope patents. By 1951, Professor Nikolai Kudryavtsev articulated what today has become known as the Russian Ukrainian theory of deep abiotic petroleum origins. Essentially, the theory rejected the contention that oil was formed from the remnants of ancient plant and animal life that died millions of years ago. From the Great Oil Conspiracy. End quote. Indeed, the abiotic oil theory can hardly be called fringe science when nearly the entirety of the Russian, Chinese, and Ukrainian oil industry is founded upon that very methodology. The abiotic theory is widely accepted within the former Soviet bloc countries and it continues to be applied to discover new oil fields to this day. Quote, Exploration in the western Siberia Cretonic Rift Sedimentary Basin has developed nearly 90 petroleum fields, of which 80 produce either partly or entirely from the crystalline basement. The exploration and discoveries of the 11 major and 1 giant fields on the northern flank of the Dnieper Donetsk Basin have already been noted. There are presently deep drilling exploration projects underway in Azerbaijan, Tarstan, and Asian Siberia directed to testing potential oil and gas reservoirs in the crystalline basement. From Stalin and Abiotic Oil. End quote. Now, if petroleum is an abiotic mineral as opposed to an organic substance, there must naturally be a chemical process that we can mimic to recreate that compound. Given the right heat, pressure, and elemental makeup, hydrocarbon liquids should be able to be reproduced under the right conditions. That is precisely what American and German scientists discovered over a century and a half ago. Quote, French chemist Charles Friedel and his American collaborator James Mason Crafts first produced synthetic hydrocarbon oils in 1877, marking the first notable achievement on the timeline of synthetic oil history. In 1913, German scientist Friedrich Berjou developed a hydrogenation process for producing synthetic oils from coal dust. Twelve years later, his countrymen Franz Fischer and Hans Tropp developed a process for converting a mixture of carbon monoxide and hydrogen into liquid hydrocarbons. 
In America, meanwhile, Standard Oil Company of Indiana tried to commercialize synthetic oil in 1929, but lack of demand doomed the attempt. Now, that didn't stop Standard Oil researcher F.W. Sullivan from publishing a paper in 1931 that disclosed a process for the polymerization of olefins to form liquid products. At about the same time, German chemist Hermann Zorn independently discovered the same process. Their discoveries laid the groundwork for the eventual widespread use of synthetic oil. From The History of Synthetic Oil and Am Soil. End quote. This process, called the Fischer-Trope process, is used to inject hydrogen into gaseous carbon at high heat. Eventually, it is synthesized into a usable liquid form. As industry analysts and oil historians will attest to, the Rockefeller-owned Standard Oil Company was pivotal in exploring these avenues of research. This is clearly not a theoretical science of little import, as it has been used quite extensively in the past, and to great effect. Synthetic fuel played a pivotal role in the ability for the German war machine to even function in World War II. The Germans made extensive use of the Fischer-Trope process to synthesize oil from coal and other chemical derivatives in order to fuel the Wehrmacht and Luftwaffen. Quote, I.G. Farben was enthusiastically embraced by Standard Oil, as well as other major American corporations, like DuPont and General Motors. In fact, without the explicit help of Standard Oil, the Nazi Air Force would never have gotten off the ground in the first place. The planes that made up the Luftwaffe needed tetraethyl-lead gasoline in order to fly. At the same time, only Standard Oil, DuPont, and General Motors had the ability to produce this vital substance. In 1938, Walter C. Teagle, then president of Standard Oil, helped Hermann Schmitz of IG Farben to acquire 500 tons of tetraethyl lead from Ethyl, a British Standard subsidiary. A year later, Schmitz returned to London and obtained an additional $15 million worth of tetraethyl lead, which was to be turned into aviation gasoline back in Germany. From A People's History of the United States. End quote. This synthetic fuel, called Syngas, was used to run everything from German planes to German tanks. With a little help, of course, from their allies within the highest sectors of American industry and finance. As I've explored quite extensively in the Frankenstein Formula series, American industrialists, backed by international capital, have played every side, every war, or seemingly the entirety of our history as a nation. World War II was no exception. Shale oil is perhaps the most salient example that demonstrates the now successful mass commercialization of synthetic oil. Hydrogen is added to carbon-rich mineral fluid in nearly exactly the same process as the Fischer-Trope method. Synthetic oil, which includes shale oil, is almost entirely responsible for the surge in American oil production that we saw take place under the Trump administration. In fact, in 2018, the American shale boom was responsible for that 98% of the worldwide increase in oil production. Quote, 
one has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. Climate change policy is about how we redistribute de facto the world's wealth. Otmar Edenhofer, United Nations official. End quote. As the Freemason Vladimir Lenin famously said, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. The Rockefeller clan and the money changers have utilized this devastatingly effective stratagem for centuries. It should come as no surprise at this point to learn that the Rockefeller family has extensively invested in both sides of the climate change quote-unquote debate. They continue to fund major climatist organizations such as 350.org and Greenpeace to the tune of billions of dollars. Through their public foundations, grants, and charities, the family has funded comprehensive pro- and anti-global warming research and media advocacy campaigns. Now, why would a family that makes its wealth through oil and high finance go on to heavily invest in organizations that seemingly attack their very livelihood? I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that perpetuating the fallacy of peak oil and climate destruction undergirds the very foundational lies of the American oil industry as a whole. Both sides of the so-called climate debate are either tacitly or openly acceding to the faulty premise first perpetuated at the turn of the 19th century. Oil is scarce, and it is running out with disastrous consequences for humanity. Cue the terrifying soundtrack. Despite continual predictions for the better parts of the last century that peak oil, quote-unquote, has arrived, much like the global warming-slash-cooling profits, these prognosticators have demonstrably proven themselves false as the oil continues to flow well past their pessimistic timelines. Yet, like all false prophets, their predictions prove hollow, and they simply move the dates of our impending demise further back, with nary a mention of their previous failures. Like the COVID psyop, the solutions for every issue always seem to end up with us handing over even more of our national sovereignty into the grimy claws of an unaccountable international power structure. The conspirators' own words indict them once again, making it painfully clear what the real goal of the climate hysteria movement is. And it's not about the polar bears. Quote, The threat of environmental crisis will be the international disaster key to unlock the new world order. Soviet Union President Mikhail Gorbachev, Freemason. End quote. This belief is echoed by America's politicians as well. Quote, We have got to ride the global warming issue. Even if the theory of global warming is wrong, we will be doing the right thing in terms of economic policy and environmental policy. U.S. Senator Timothy Worth, Democrat, Colorado. End quote. This is the Hegelian dialectic in action. As with all psyops and mass rituals, the lie is not the point. It is what the lie causes you to believe. That is truly the point. And there's a laundry list of lies regarding petroleum, 
But regardless of the lies being spread by the regime and its mockingbirds, their lies always lead to the belief they want to inculcate in us. The ultimate goal of climate hysterics and the peak oil narrative is prepping the mental battlefield, readying the masses to accept worldwide governance by an enlightened Luciferian priest class of intergenerational money lenders. Climate policy is not about the climate. It is about control. Quote, Some even believe the Rockefellers are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists, inspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I'm proud of it. From Memoirs by David Rockefeller, CEO of Chase Bank, founder of the Trilateral Commission. End quote. If the idea of an entire industry ignoring basic science and simple logic and the ruthless pursuit of profits is still too hard for you to stomach, consider another major industry that operates in almost precisely the same manner. The Diamond Cartel, created by Freemason Cecil Rhodes, still maintains a stranglehold on the international sale of this mineral. And diamond are a naturally ubiquitous material, precisely like oil, and held little value before extensive propaganda campaigns created the illusion of scarcity in the modern mind. Diamonds, like oil, can be artificially produced. Yet, through the imposition of closed markets, marketing campaigns, and monopolistic practices, the diamond industry has fabricated a myth that continues to yield them massive profits. It pays to be a member of the cartel. At the same time that these alarmist headlines have dominated our airwaves, inventors that might upset the oil cartel with their alternative theories have been snuffed out with alarming regularity. The CIA has admitted in congressional testimony that they have had the technology to induce fatal heart attacks in a victim without it showing up on an autopsy since the early 1960s. The conspicuous timing of the deaths of so many ingenious freethinkers is entirely within the expertise of the regime and their sicarios. Consider the following list of inventors. In 1979, Roy Johnson received a patent for cold fusion-powered magnetic motor capable of outputting 525 horsepower. The Department of Energy quickly put a restraining order on the publication of his patent for unspecified reasons, and Johnson died of a massive heart attack shortly afterwards. Mark Tamayan, the inventor of the electrodynamic field generator, died under similarly strange circumstances as Roy Johnson after submitting his patent application. Stan Myers invented an engine that ran off of water. In 1997, he died at lunch with potential investors. His last words were, I've been poisoned. Stefan Marinov, the leader of the European Free Energy Movement, allegedly jumped from a fourth-story window and killed himself in 1997, before he could finish his prototype device. Dmitry Petronov went missing in 2010 after developing a plasma battery 
that powered his home at minimal cost for over two years. He has never been seen alive since. Zachary Warfield, a DARPA scientist, visited Petronov that same year, shortly before mysteriously dying in a boating accident. Eugene Malove, the founder of the New Energy Foundation, was brutally murdered the day before he planned to announce his findings on a thorium-based pre-energy device. His killer was released from prison in less than 10 years. Eric Degay patented a free-energy device based on a zero-point field technology. In 2007, while on the way to meet potential investors for his device, he was found dead in the airport parking lot. Lastly, Aaron Salter Jr. invented an automobile engine that ran off of water and submitted an application for the patent. Shortly afterwards, while working as a security guard at the top supermarket in Buffalo, New York, he was murdered during a mass shooting, quote-unquote, in 2022. This is just a small list of those who have been forever silenced in order to keep humanity under the mythological leash of finite energy. In truth, these discoveries are simply following in the footsteps of the illimitable Nikola Tesla, a visionary giant who had discovered or theorized technology such as direct energy weapons, wireless energy, and anti-gravitational flight over a century ago. In the early years of the 20th century, Tesla had already created the theoretical framework to wirelessly power light bulbs and other electronics from distances of over two miles. Tesla's theories have now openly become a reality, as New Zealand startup Emrod has been deploying this technology since 2020. We can only imagine the progression of such amazing technology if Tesla's notes hadn't been secreted away by the feds after his death in 1943. The questions that these revelations beg could be entire essays in their own right. How many wars were started on the fallacious premise that Middle Eastern oil rigs and Eurasian pipelines must stay flowing lest civilization collapse? How much wealth has been extracted from our citizenry in the form of the ever-present energy tax imposed upon us? How much petroleum has the federal government prevented Americans from producing? How much technological progress has been buried in some nameless government vault? How many great minds have been forever silenced to protect Standard Oil's bottom line? Even for a seasoned parapolitical historian like yours truly, it's still exceedingly hard to fathom the amount of society-altering anti-truths that flowed downstream of the fossil fuel farce. The totality of the mind war that has been waged upon the common man is a sobering pill to swallow. Swallow it we must. The foundation upon which modern society has been built is quicksand, and it is rapidly shifting beneath us. The control grids of the 21st century will be even more encompassing than the first. In order to prevent our children and our grandchildren from spending another century of enslavement to a rootless international cartel, we must begin to address 
the most fundamental assumptions of a society that has led us to the point we now call evil good and good evil. As the COVID psyop has made painfully clear, there's already a worldwide governing structure that dictates policies to its regional governments from on high. I will reiterate a point I've made in previous essays because it bears continual repeating until it finally sinks in. We have already lost the battle against one-world governance. We have de facto had such an arrangement since 1930 with the institution of the Bank for International Settlements. Our sovereignty was sacrificed on Moloch's brazen altar long ago. The sooner you accept this fact, the sooner you can begin to formulate an actual plan. To truly break these Luciferian paradigms, you must first realize that you are still fighting in the box they have created for you. Quote, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years. But the work is now much more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. David Rockefeller, CEO of Chase Bank, founder of the Trilateral Commission. End quote.